talking about whiskey and yeah. um, now I'm getting thirsty. Uh, I wish it was kind of Friday right now. Yeah, <laughs> we got a ways to go. Yeah, uh, you were just out in Montana. What was going on out there? Yeah, my wife and I we went out to Whitefish. We went a little ski trip. Oh, um, yeah, we were there. Left left Grand Forks on Tuesday and okay. Uh, left Grand Forks on Tuesday. We got back on Sunday. Um, Fourteen hour drive though. Oh drove, wow! Drove it straight on Sunday, so that was a that oh, was a tough one. Yeah, and uh, you came back in one piece though. Came back in one piece. No no wrecks. Yeah, we, we did good. Are yeah. you a, a skier or a boarder? Um, I do. I've done both. I used to snowboard all the time, and then got into skiing like three or four years ago now. So now I've been skiing. Skiing's just easier. Mm-hmm. Are like, you one of those uh, guys? Those crazy guys that'll go on the the hardest runs. I not this time. No, yeah. <laughs> My, uh, me and Carolyn stuck on the blues, but we, we went up to the peak and amazing views up there mm-hmm. at Whitefish. Whitefish is so pretty. That's got to be one of my favorite places I've ever been. Yeah, it's like one of the few states west of here that I've never been to is really? Montana, and I have a lot of friends out there. One of these days, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> do you think we should talk realty stuff? I guess if we have to. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, my son, I'm going to use this to start. Um, Bought a new house in Fargo in the process. I mean, I know closing is coming up, but um, so they put their house in the market, had eight showings, I think, one day. Um, The first showing wanted it, said, We'll give you an offer. Second one came in 10 minutes after they left, said, We'll up that offer. Third one came in and said, I'll up that offer and pay cash, just like that. So, my question to you is, how do you write a winning offer when you have got multiple offers on a house? Yeah, yeah. So um, obviously cash is is the strongest terms that you can come in with because you don't have to have any contingencies if you write a cash offer. But the average person out there, you know, unless we're talking, you know, like retired age people, mm-hmm. um, the average home buyer uh, isn't going to be paying cash for a home. So the first thing you need to do whenever you're writing an offer is you need to have your pre-approval ready at the time of the offer and you submit it with your offer, especially important when you're multiple offers and you want to try to win. Right. Right. Um, not asking for closing costs from the seller, um, is like the cleanest way to write your offer. Um, but if you do have to ask for closing costs, if you need them in order to be able to, you know, make it work financially up your, uh, up your offering price to offset the cost of the closing costs to the seller. So if you're asking, you know, like if, if the house is listed at two twenty five and you want to come in at full asking price, but you need to ask for five thousand in closing costs, mm-hmm. if you're asking for five thousand in closing costs from the seller, bump your offer up to two thirty, because then the offer is essentially a full price offer because um, you're giving you know that offering price is two thirty, but the seller is giving you five thousand of that back. Okay, um, so is it the close. buyer or the seller that is normally responsible for the closing costs? They're each responsible for their own closing Okay. Costs. So for the buyer, the buyer is going to be responsible for their lender origination fee, which is usually around 1%. They're going to be responsible for their year of homeowner's insurance up front. Mm-hmm. They're going to be responsible for their prorated uh, property taxes. They're going to be responsible for their half of all the title work. Um, the seller is going to be responsible for both sides of real estate commissions, their side of prorated taxes, um, their half of the title work. Um, so each each of them have their own closing costs. The seller's closing costs are taken out of their proceeds. Their, mm-hmm. loan, their loan is paid off. Their closing costs are taken out of the proceeds, and they get a check for what's left over. The buyer has to write a check at closing for those uh, things. So um, if, if the seller is kicking $5,000 in closing cost assistance back to the buyer, 
that's $5,000 more that's going to get taken out of the seller's proceeds, and that's $5,000 less that the buyer has to come up with at closing. So when you hear somebody talk about closing cost assistance, that's what they mean. Okay, so you mentioned insurance. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize that uh, in order to buy a house, you have to pay for the insurance for the first full year because normally doesn't that come out of your mortgage, or how does that work? Yeah, so you have to fund your escrow account. Um, so that your your homeowner's insurance is paid out of your escrow account, but you need to initially fund that escrow account. Okay. And then you continue funding it with each payment, but you do have to pay for the insurance up front rather than like the, the taxes. Um, you, you're paying like a year behind. Mm-hmm. So yep. like right now we're, you know, it's the start of 2021. People are paying for the year of 2020 in their property taxes, but you do pay for the homeowner's insurance uh, up front. So you fund that escrow account initially at closing. Um, you pay for that homeowner's insurance and then each month you contribute into that escrow account so the next year at this time when your homeowner's insurance is due you have the money in there to be able to pay for the following okay that makes sense because if you pay your house off um all of a sudden you get a big check back from your escrow exactly and then that way you could just turn that over to your insurance agent and you are covered for the next year so you're always a year ahead exactly you're always a year okay Yep. yep and um since so you know how I said when you're the seller, we're, uh, when we're talking about the seller side closing costs, they've got to pay for their prorated property taxes as well. So mm-hmm. close in June, each party is due for six months out of the year with the property taxes, and they're going to take that out of your proceeds. But then when you, you know, a couple weeks later, you are going to get a check back for that amount um, for your property taxes if you've been escrowing for them. Okay, I have nobody at my house that explains things to me like you do, John. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad I can help out. Now yeah. it's all making sense to me. <laughs> yeah, this, it's a lot of stuff that you don't really need to pay, pay attention to these details until it's time to worry about them. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's that's what I'm here for. Okay, so if, if you're trying to write this winning offer, yeah, uh, uh, so, what do you got to do? So some other things you can do, um, you know, Obviously, you know, strong price in terms. So um, you can make your earnest money non-refundable. Um, earnest money is like the deposit that you make mm-hmm. to hold the property, and then it's put towards your cash to close at closing. If you were to back out, um, so if it's regular earnest money, if it's, you know, regular refundable earnest money, if I were to back out due to a contingency that's not specified in my purchase agreement, you get to keep my earnest money. So like we've, all my financing's been approved like, let's say we're a week before closing. I've got the final approval on my loan. I've already passed home inspection and removed that contingency. We've already gotten the house appraised, and we've passed that contingency as well. I have no contingencies left. They've all been met. Uh, my f- financing's approved. Nothing's changed in my financial situation, and I just changed my mind, and I don't want your house anymore. I back out of the deal. I'm going to lose that earnest money to you. Okay. Um, but if I back out, uh, let's say... I get my home, you're, I get the house inspected, and I just get a little overwhelmed. There's too many things that came up on the report, and I want to go and find a different house. I get that earnest money back okay. because I used one of the contingencies that was in my purchase agreement. So if you make your earnest money non-refundable, the buyer has more incentive to stick with the purchase and not back out due to you know inspection, uh, low appraisal, those sort of things. And if they do, the seller is for sure going to be compensated for the time that they tied up the property. So offering non-refundable earnest money, offering a little more earnest money than usual, like, you know, standard is, you know, maybe like a thousand bucks in earnest mm-hmm. money. Um, offering a little more earnest money and making it non-refundable can make your offer stand out. If we've got two offers that are exactly the same, 
I'm going to always take the one that has more non-refundable earnest money versus, you know, the standard amount sure. in refundable earnest money. Um, the other things, you know, this is, this is one that gets talked about a lot, um, especially if the homeowners have been in the home for a really long time, writing a letter, kind of introducing yourself, telling a little bit about you, you, your family, if you have a family, your pets, if you have pets, um, your dreams to, you know, what you expect your life to look like in their home, what you like about their home puts a personal touch on your offer. Sometimes if somebody is really uh, emotionally connected to their home, mm-hmm. sometimes it's a little bit more than just the bottom line. And this can maybe make that personal connection that you wouldn't otherwise have. I never thought of that. Yeah. Um, so if you have a home to sell, and so you're selling your home and maybe you're moving up into a bigger, nicer home. Um, if you have a home sale contingency and you're up against other offers that don't have home sale contingencies, it's not going to be good. You're, you're going to lose pretty much every time. Mm-hmm. So if you have a house that you have to sell and you know the market is really hot for the home that you want to try to buy, um, it's a good idea to get your home listed and get an offer accepted before offering on anything else because it looks a whole lot better saying, hey, we need to close on our home, but it's already under contract um, and it's set to close on this day versus... Uh, yeah, we, we need to sell our home and we haven't even put it on the market yet. There, you know, there, there's a lot more that can go wrong with that. You know, uh, getting back to that letter, I, I never thought of that because um, especially somebody that's been in their house for many years and like you said, uh, emotionally and physically connected to their place and, and they realize, okay, it's time to sell. So if you're thinking about making this into a rental property or something, you sure don't want to write them a letter saying, hey, I really like this house. It'd be great to rent out to some college kids or something. You want, because especially if you're a first-time buyer, I mean, odds are you've been dreaming about this for a while. Yeah. And, and, and and I would imagine you'd want to tell them your hopes and dreams, you know, in the future and to not worry. Yep. You're, you know, even though it's not your house anymore or it's not going to be, it's still your house and we're going to take care of your house for yep. the rest of our lives. Exactly. Some things to leave out of that letter. Like you said, I, I should have brought this up too. If you're not planning on living in the house, if you want it as a rental property, probably skip the letter altogether. Yeah, yeah. If, uh, if you are writing a letter and it's, it's not the time to tell them, hey, we want to rip out this wall and update your kitchen mm-hmm. because that might, they might see that as insulting. Like, mm-hmm. well, you don't think our kitchen's good enough? Um, it's more about like, you know, what, what your home is going to mean to, you know, us and our family, um, how we see our lives going in your home um leave out the yeah we want to uh, refinish the basement and and you know rip out all your kitchen cabinets and put new ones in leave that kind of stuff out focus on what the home is going to mean to you and your mm-hmm. family you know don't mention the 1970s era wallpaper and uh, appliances and stuff yeah. like that and the the linoleum that could do the exact <laughs> opposite of what you're trying to accomplish with your uh with your um, letter that you're writing to the homeowners. You want to endear yourself to the homeowners. You don't want to insult them and make them want to pick a different buyer over you. <laughs> okay. So there are a few other things that are going to help you when, you, um, when you're writing a winning offer. Um, so getting your home sold before you offer on your next home is going to, you're going to have way more leverage. You're, mm-hmm. gonna, you're not going to strike out so many times. Um, writing an escalation clause into your offer if you're going to be coming in over asking price. So let's say your asking price is 200000 and there's multiple offers on it. I'm pretty confident this house is going over asking price, right? Okay. So yep. you obviously, you want to um, 
you, you want to win the house, but you don't want to overpay. An escalation clause is basically saying, I'll pay X amount over the highest offer, not to exceed, let's say, 210000 So okay. let's say an escalation clause on that house would look like we will beat the highest and best offer by, um, or, and we would even specify the highest and best net offer. So purchase price, less closing costs. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll beat the highest and best net offer by $2,000, not to exceed $210,000. Okay. You have to be very specific with it. Um, I only recommend using it if you're coming in at asking price or above. If you come in $10,000 below asking price with an escalation clause, it makes you look cheap. It says, oh, they want this house, but they want to still try to lowball me if yep. there's not any other offers. You do want to you want to save this. You don't want to use this in every situation. You want to save this and use it when you're in multiple offers and you're ready to pay over asking price. Also, it doesn't make sense to say, hey, we'll beat the highest and best offer by 100 bucks up to this amount. Again, yeah. it's going to make you look cheap. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not going to be a good look for you with the homeowner. Okay, so you, yeah. if you have numerous offers, say at 200000 and somebody wants to up it, what would be the average number you would up it? Do you go 1000 5000 or what? I, I probably would say at least 1000 1000 is on the light side. I'd probably say 2000 because let's say you have to use FHA financing and the other offer is uh, conventional financing. Um, or let's say you have an inspection contingency. We'll get more to this later, but you have an inspection contingency. The other offer doesn't. It has to be higher by enough where it's going to outweigh some of those variables that we can't really account for right off the bat. Okay. Uh, I do have a text from Ben, and uh, thanks for watching us, Ben. What's the average price per square foot that homes are selling for in, in Grand, Grand Forks? Forks? I would imagine, yeah. Think, He's a Grand Forks guy. I think it's right around $111 per square foot okay. in Grand Forks. Okay. Uh, I know I checked at the end of the year, and I should go back and uh, – Double check that on my computer when I get done here and comment back if it's something else. But if, if I remember right, it's like 111 point something per mm-hmm. square foot. Uh, and I remember that it did go up quite a bit because I think it was like 108 um, and some cents per yep. square foot last okay. year. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Now, uh, when you're writing a winning offer, when you have multiple offers, did I cut you off? Is there anything oh, more we need to know there? A, a couple more things that you can think about. So to strengthen your offer, you can forego your inspection contingency. We always recommend to get homes inspected. um, But if you are looking for any little way to get an edge to try to win in a multiple offer situation where you really want this home, um, foregoing your inspection contingency is one way to make your offer cleaner. There's fewer things that can go wrong. So if you're at the same offering price as somebody else, and the only difference is you don't have an inspection contingency and they do, you're, you're going to probably win that battle. Uh, every time um, or in a, in a really hot market, really desperate situation um, offer to pay above the appraised value. Um, you obviously have to have the cash to be able to do that. And usually you set a certain amount. Um, so we're, we're willing to pay above appraised value by $10,000 in the event that the appraisal comes in low. And we're still obviously not going to pay above the purchase price, mm-hmm. but on that $200,000 house, if it appraised at, um, you know, 190 or above, um, we're, we're willing to still pay the $200,000 that we sure. offered. Um, that's just more insurance because the appraisal, you know, when, when prices are rising, you've got a, a hot, strong seller's market. Uh, appraisals take a little bit to catch up. So the hotter the market gets and the faster prices rise, the more chance that 
appraisals are not going to catch up to where the values are at, right? Okay. So that's one more thing that can go wrong for a seller and ensuring that you will, that you're able to pay over appraised value in the event that the appraisal comes in low is just another way to ease the seller's mind and make sure that they're going to get that money that you originally offered them. You know, when I first started this gig, John, I never in a million years imagined I would start learning so much about real estate. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now I know why why they call the uh, realty experts at Berkshire Hathaway realty experts because uh, you guys are the bomb. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff we have to know about. It's a nice unintended uh, side effect for you. Oh, yeah. Now yeah. you're the realty expert. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least I got somebody I can say he told me. Yeah, there you go. Um, are you going to be back Friday? Yes, I'll be back Friday. All right. Now, if somebody wants to get a hold of John Brodeen, realty expert, John, let's have your phone number, your email, and all that happy stuff. 701-213-5428 is my cell. John Brodeen, realtor at gmail.com is my email address. You can find my Facebook page, my business page, uh, John Brodeen, Berkshire Hathaway. You'll, I'll be the first thing that shows up. I post monthly market updates, all that kind of stuff. So, All right, perfect. Thank you, John Brodeen. He's your realty expert from Berkshire Hathaway. And there you go. That is half number one of our bi-weekly Berkshire Hathaway podcast. And uh, John Brodeen will be joining us again in the studio on Friday. Until then, have yourself a great week.